It's April 18th, the third Sunday of Easter, and I'm thinking of religious freedom. In fact, I've been thinking about religious freedom for a while now. In Ontario, we have an issue with a new secular sex education curriculum that was passed without consultation with parents and that is being imposed on Catholic schools. Doctors are suing the College of Physicians for forcing them to refer patients for procedures that go against their personal conscience. In various states, there are issues of Catholic organizations being denied funding if they do not provide services that go against their Catholic values. And the Religious Freedom Restoration Acts are now back in the limelight, thanks to a particular pizza place in Walkerton, Indiana. The owner of Memories Pizza had to close after he said his religious beliefs would not allow him to cater a gay wedding. Well, first of all, who's going to have their wedding catered by a little local pizzeria? Really? The issue is not that gay people are not welcome at his store. The issue is not about homosexuality at all. The issue is about marriage. I don't think it's discrimination. Let me put it this way. If you are pro-abortion and you own a print shop and I want to go and get my March for Life posters printed at your shop, can you refuse my services? Sure you can. Can I sue you? Can I boycott you? Can I threaten to burn your place down? How about I just take my business to someone who supports my cause and supports my beliefs? If you're a Republican and I am a well-known Democrat who owns a popular restaurant, can you have your Republican candidate party at my restaurant? Can I refuse you? Sure I can. None of your basic human rights are being denied. And what about Memories Pizza? Well, they only close for eight days. They're now open after receiving a lot of support plus over $800,000 that were raised online in their support. On second thought, if I were to cater a wedding, I might just cater it with pizza. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. First off, thank you to the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University for sponsoring today's program. You can find out more about their graduate programs at luc.edu slash ips. And as you already know, this show is available for streaming or download online at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also now on Roku. But the Salt and Light Hour is also heard over the airwaves thanks to our partners in the United States. If you're listening on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, or on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on the Lamb Catholic Radio Network, or on Holy Family Radio in Northeastern Ohio, on the Baraga Radio Network in Northern Michigan, or on Relevant Radio, thank you for your support. I also want to publicly thank all of these networks for their support because they, like us, also rely on your support. If you're listening to Catholic Radio today, and you like what we do, please support these radio networks. If you, if you like the Salt and Light Hour, remember that you're listening to this program for free, and without your support, this program cannot exist. Please write to me and tell me what we can do to improve. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And if you can, please consider sending us a small donation to help us continue bring you the best that Salt and Light can offer. You can email me directly 
at radio at saltandlighttv.org or send your comments to me, Deacon Pedro, via Facebook or Twitter. Or we have a very cool new feature on our webpage that allows you to send us direct voice messages. It's very cool. So check it out at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And I'd like to say a special hello to someone who did reach out to us, Ed Doring from Plainfield, Indiana. Ed was just received into the Catholic Church this past Easter, and he writes, Your interviews with the artists are excellent. This is a great way to get to know the person behind the music. I was particularly moved to learn about Danielle Rose and her work with the China Little Flower Orphanage. Ed also has been listening to our Salt and Light Radio channels, and he says that he's delighted to learn more and more about the world of Catholic musicians. He says, Your site is a wonderful blessing, and I pray that God will continue to sustain your work. Thank you for writing, Ed. I'm glad that you enjoy what you're listening to. And to thank Ed for his nice note, we're going to send him a copy of Danielle Rose's latest album, Culture of Life. See how easy that is? Today, after our news and Saint of the Week, Father Tom Rosica has a reflection for the third Sunday in Easter. That's going to be in about 20 minutes. And in our second half hour, we're going to be continuing our project on consecrated life by speaking with Bishop Richard Moth of the United Kingdom Armed Forces. And although he himself is not consecrated, not in that same sense, he is a canon lawyer, and so he can explain exactly what consecrated life is and why he can say that he is not consecrated, even though he's a bishop. That's in about half an hour. And after that, we're going to be speaking with Michael, Paul, and Matthew Leon, formerly of the Jacob and Matthew Band. They've just rebranded their group as WAL, W-A-L. And so we're going to be speaking with them to find out what WAL stands for and why they did that change. Um, so let's start with a song from WAL's first album, Always and Everywhere. So here's In the Name of the Father. God, our Father, great Creator, author of unending love fill us with your grace and mercy fill us with your love fill us with your love Christ the Son Fill us 
That was Wall with In the Name of the Father from their new album, Always and Everywhere. And we're going to be speaking with Michael Paul and Matthew Leon from Wall in our second half hour. But now, here is Stefan with our news. Welcome back, Stefan. Thank you for having me. So, um, big day in... Uh, Montreal yesterday. It certainly was. Uh, the Archbishop Emeritus of Montreal, Cardinal Jean-Claude Turcotte, uh, died last week. And uh, yesterday there was a large funeral, over 1,400 people uh, at Mary Queen of the World Cathedral in Montreal. Uh, Cardinal Turcotte had been the Archbishop of Montreal for 22 years uh, and been an auxiliary bishop in the diocese eight years prior to that. So uh, certainly a very well-known, very public figure. Very in, loved. Uh, precisely, like, well liked, in, in yes. French-Canadian society. Yes, not just in the Catholic Church, but outside. He was, he was such a great man. Yes, absolutely. Constantly seen at Montreal Canadiens games and at Montreal Expos games back in the day. Absolutely. Um, Now the uh, Holy Father in a little bit of hot water with... uh, Yes, the Holy Father is in a little bit of a row with with the (laughs) Turkish government. Um, This past Sunday, uh, Pope Francis held a Mass for the Faithful, the Armenian Rite, uh, to mark uh, first, uh, marking St. Gregory of Narek, introducing him as a doctor of the Church. He's Mm -hmm. an Armenian saint uh, from over a millennia ago, yeah. Uh, but also uh, it was a mass to mark uh, the centenary of the Armenian genocide yes. uh, that took place during the latter years and following the First World War on behalf of the Ottoman Empire. Right, but we shouldn't call it a genocide, right? According to the Turkish government, okay. uh, <laughs> scholarship generally around the world agrees that this was a genocide. 22 mm-hmm. countries have officially recognized it as a genocide. The Pope recognized it as a genocide at mass, and the Turkish government fired back immediately following mass with a statement on their website. Uh, the president and the prime minister have come out, uh, even accusing the pope of being part of a conspiracy mm-hmm. to draw battle lines against Turkey. So uh, not terribly surprising, but this does seem to be dragging out in the media. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sure we'll hear more about that. Um, the Vatican is also uh, has a new initiative to end uh uh, slavery or sex trade? Human trafficking, yes. Human trafficking. Uh, so the Vatican has worked closely with the Ecumenical Global Freedom Network uh-huh. uh, in the last year, and uh, Pope Francis recently signed a joint declaration uh, with various religious leaders from around the globe, uh, basically to put an end to human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So they've introduced a new website with all kinds of resources available there, uh, also providing legislation on uh international law to fight human trafficking. So if people are interested in looking at that and finding out what's there, they can go to endslavery.va. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's that's very good news. So endslavery.va. Now, uh, also, the, the, the Holy Father had some special, I'm going to say they're special guests at the general audience on Wednesday uh, a year ago. So we, we had a, a guest here in our show who wrote a book on a woman named Asya Bibi, who's been in prison in Pakistan. So who were these guests? Uh, the guests were her husband and one of her daughters. Hmm. Uh, they were at uh, this week's general audience, and the Pope met with them uh, at the end of the audience. Uh, this is the first time uh, the Pope has met with or spoken out on this issue uh, of Asya Bibi, who is on death row in Pakistan uh, for uh, allegedly committing blasphemy against the Prophet Muhammad, mm-hmm. which is punishable uh, by, by death, death in that country. Yes, uh, Numerous international groups have come to her defense. Uh, Pope Benedict at the time... Uh, spoke out quite uh, quite openly, uh, calling for her release. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time Pope Francis has spoken out, uh, but uh, certainly her lawyer and her family are in Rome this week to try and convince uh, the church and 
Western political leaders right. to exert their force to ensure her safe release. Right. Now, uh, w- it was a private meeting they had? Uh, or was there a public statement made? The details have not been released no. uh, as to the nature of it. Uh, but very often private audiences do take place uh, just in St. Peter's Square there at the end. Absolutely, yeah. Now, that's a very uh, important story. Asia Bibi is not the only Christian who's on death row for under this blasphemy law. In fact, many Muslims are on death row because of this blasphemy law. And uh, it's a it's a very sad story. Um, if people want to find out more about Asia Bibi, I'm sure they can find that online. Thank you very much, Stefan. Happy to be here. That was Stefan Slovak, our news producer. You can watch Stefan's daily update on Perspectives Mondays through Thursdays on Salt and Light Television, also online at saltandlighttv.org, and also now on Roku. Hi, this is Mikey Needleman, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can look me up on Facebook and uh, say hello when you do that. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew... Deacon Pedro. Happy Easter. Yes, Happy Easter. 50 glorious days in the church. I know. Oh, one of my favorite all-time liturgical seasons in the church. Yes, mine too. Mine too. So do we have any... Don't get me wrong. I love to wait. I love to repent and prepare. No, you don't. And I also love to celebrate. You love to repent. Okay. Absolutely. It keeps, right. you, it keeps you on your toes, <laughs> and it, uh, you know, it, it helps you strive for holiness every day. That's very We all good. need to repent, right? Yes, so. yes, yes. So we can be saintly. So do we have Easter saints, or who's our saint today? Uh, an Easter saint, sure. Yes. We'll say, I think they're all Easter saints. Uh, they're all <laughs> yes. Easter saints, to be honest, because, um, you know, we all know that once we go to heaven, we're declared saints. Saints, yes. And um, all of our people in the Catholic Church who have been canonized throughout the centuries uh, have a story, mm-hmm. have a very important story to teach us. So I like to consider them all um, Easter saints because they were all full of joy, they were all full of hope, and yet at the same time they sacrificed their life. Amen. So who's right. our who's So our saint? we're going to look at today St. Martin the First. Saint, okay. okay. Now, when Martin the First became Pope in the year 649, um, Constantinople, which is present-day Istanbul in Turkey, yep. uh, was the capital of the uh, Byzantine Empire. And the Patriarch of Constantinople was really, at that time, the most influential church leader in the Eastern Christian world. Mm -hmm. So the struggles that existed within the church at that period in history were magnified, really, by the close cooperation of both the emperor Mm -hmm. and the patriarch of Istanbul, of Constantinople. Um, A teaching that was strongly supported in the East held that Jesus Christ had no human will. So twice emperors had officially favored this, uh, this teaching, this position of the Church. Um, really, one, um, Heraclius um, published a formula of faith, and Constance II um, silenced the issue of one or two wills in, in Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. Shortly after assuming the office of the papacy, uh, which he did without first being confirmed by the emperor, uh, St. Martin held a council. Uh, throughout the centuries, we all know that the Church tends to have councils, and Martin held one at the Lateran, in yep. which the documents were censured, and in which the Patriarch of Constantinople, Istanbul, mm-hmm. and two of his pre- predecessors were condemned. Um, Constance II, in response to that, in response to that move, tried first to turn bishops and people against the Pope. Uh-huh. Failing uh, in this, really, and in an attempt to actually kill the Pope, the Emperor sent troops from Constantinople, Istanbul, to Rome, 
to seize Martin and to bring him back to Constantinople. Now, already in kind of poor health, uh, Martin offered no resistance. And he returned and he submitted to various imprisonments. He was tortured. He underwent many hardships um, and whatnot. And although uh, condemned to death and with some of the torture uh, imposed already carried out, Martin was saved from uh, being killed. He was saved from execution by the pleas of uh, Paul, who was the patriarch of Constantinople, who also was gravely ill at that time. Martin died later on. Uh, he died shortly after, um, because really it was the tortures and the cruel treatment, having been brought from Rome, that really started to take a toll on him physically. Uh, he is the last, we know of a story that he is the last of the early popes to be venerated as a martyr. Okay. So, um, St. Martin I, um, his feast day is on April the 13th. So, St. Martin, pray for us. So, April 13th, St. Martin, Pope? Pope, uh, really Pope Martin. Yeah, and the last Pope to be considered a martyr. Yeah, so his feast day was just this past week, Monday, April the 13th, but I really didn't know um, really about his story. We all know about St. Martin of Tours. Uh, St. Martin of Torres. Uh, um, of Torres, yeah. Yeah, so I, we all know about that story. But it's very interesting learning about uh, this particular pope um, back then uh, in the early days. Yes, very good. Okay, good. We've learned about a new saint. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. Andrew Santos is our saint expert. He's also the youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario. Hi, or a very sincere g'day to you. I'm Monica Brown from Australia, and you are listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Pounding hearts, wounded hearts, burning hearts. What better ways to describe what lies at the heart of this marvelous story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus on Easter night? A story of the heart. You see, to believe in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, is to give our heart to Jesus. Faith means what we give our heart to. And Luke's story, found in chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, is a very deep reflection on the Easter faith of the early church and of our church. When we meet the disciples on the road to Emmaus on that first Easter night, the memory of the resurrection has seemed to fade away. It's a tale for these two who seemed to be walking back into the middle of nowhere, into a little village of Emmaus, lost in the hill country. They had experienced trauma over the previous days in Jerusalem. And perhaps their desire to return to what was commonplace and familiar was an external reflection of the deep angst and fear and despair and sadness that they had within each of them. Cleopas and this unnamed companion were trying to get away from the sadness that had torn them apart in Jerusalem. Intimately intertwined with their skepticism and sadness is their hope and their deep desire that God would become alive once again in their world. Their hopes had been decimated and shattered in the city of Jerusalem over the previous three days. Without being aware of what they were fully saying to the stranger who was journeying with them, they began to tell the story. They professed the creed without even knowing it. They spoke about Jesus, a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and before everyone, and how he was handed over by the chief priests and elders to be crucified. They even went as far as saying he was laid in a tomb, and some women from our group have gone to see this, but they did not find the Lord. What a remarkable story they were telling. 
but they were unable to make the link between what they knew about Jesus here in their head and the reality of Jesus here in their heart. He was walking in their midst into their world of sadness and suffering, of doubt. They were so overcome with their own grief, we are told by the evangelists, they were unable to recognize him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. It's the divine passive that was at work here. It was important for them to be taken through the ruins and the sadness and destruction so they could appreciate how solid was the foundation. After they finished talking about what had happened in their own experience, Jesus began to speak to them. Oh, you slow of heart to believe all that has taken place. Did you not know how necessary it was for the Messiah to suffer and die so as to enter into his glory? And Luke tells us remarkably that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he told them everything that pertained to him. And then, when they arrived at the village to which they were going, Jesus pretended to be going on further. But they pleaded with him, Stay with us, for it is evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And then in rapid fire sequence, we are told that he sat at the table. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were opened, the divine passive once again. And they recognized him. They knew who it was and he disappeared, he vanished from their sight. And rather than cry out in angst and difficulty and sadness and despair, where are you, why did you leave us? They turned to one another and they spoke those powerful words, were not our hearts gradually catching fire within us as he spoke to us on the road and in the breaking of the bread. And suddenly they got up and fled. One could just imagine that scene, the door wide open, the tablecloth pulled, the candlestick knocked over, and they fled back to Jerusalem. And we would think that they would be the ones to announce to Peter and the others that the Lord is risen. But no, the center of the apostolic circle in Jerusalem was around Peter. And Peter announces to them, first and foremost, that the Lord is risen. And only then are their tongues freed to speak what they experienced of how they met Jesus on the road and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And so what does this story mean for us? What is the purpose of that lengthy catechetical lesson on the road and that very brief sacramental moment at the table? The stranger on the road to Emmaus, none other than Jesus the Lord, takes the skepticism and curiosity of the disciples and weaves it into the fabric of the scriptures. Jesus challenges them to reinterpret the events of the past days of their lives. The great days of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And to look at them through the lenses of the scriptures. The lenses of salvation history. That what took place in Jerusalem was a necessity so that life could burst forth from the tomb. The story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus places some very important questions before each of us and before the church community. Are our own hearts gradually on fire within us when the scriptures are read and proclaimed in our midst? How do we recognize him in the breaking of the bread? How do we share that great story with others? How do we become bearers of the story? Is it not often the case that we are so wrapped up in our own sadness that we forget to recognize Jesus the Lord? Let me conclude with this prayer, so fitting, that sums up the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening and the day is far spent. 
just as the two disciples prayed on that evening in Emmaus, help me to be focused and centered on you, my Lord, my hope, and my life. When doubt and despair fill my life, stay with me, Lord. When sadness and emptiness tempt me to believe that you are absent, fill me with your consoling presence. When selfishness prevents me from reaching out to others, teach me the art of selflessness. Stay with me, Lord, and help me to remember that the royal road of the cross is the only way for me and for the church. Stay with me, Lord, along the journey, and help me to discover you each day in the breaking and sharing of the word and the bread. Stay with us, Lord, as we journey to the new Jerusalem, where you are light and peace and endless home. Amen. Father Thomas Rosica is a Brazilian priest. He's the CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and the executive producer of this program. Coming up in our second half hour, what is Consecrated Life with Bishop Richard Moth of the Armed Forces of the United Kingdom and a featured chat with Michael Paul and Matthew Leon of Wall. So don't go anywhere. Change yourself and the world around you with a graduate degree from Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies. Loyola's degree programs will give you the skills you need to serve others in the information age. Our brand new digital communication concentration combines Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use social media and other digital platforms for outreach and evangelization. To learn more about Loyola's graduate programs and other courses we offer, head to luc.edu ips. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Pope Francis has declared this year, 2015, to be the year for consecrated life. And so here at Salt and Light, we're dedicating some time to learning about and celebrating the consecrated life. But there is some confusion as to what consecrated life refers to. And to help me understand, I recently spoke with Bishop Richard Moth, who's a canon lawyer and also the Bishop of the Armed Forces of the United Kingdom. Here's an excerpt of our conversation. Now, I know that you were a Benedictine oblate for a long time, so how did we go from being a diocesan priest? It was the other way around, actually. Oh, uh, oh okay. It was when I was a student um, okay. uh, at the seminary, uh, the, the, we, we heard of a, a Benedictine community in the north of Scotland uh-huh. uh, called Pluscadden Abbey. Yes. And um, so a few of us, four of us, in fact, from, from seminary, I went up there after Easter for a little bit of a break right. and I was very impressed by the community and um, so I went back there on my own in the summer mm-hmm. and then felt called to unite myself in some way with the community so I asked if I could become an oblate um, and they said yes and um, I've been been so ever since and, and that I found those roots with um, the um, a community, a Benedictine religious community uh, a huge support in my priesthood right. because you've got that community who are praying for you, a kind of a spiritual home, if you like. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it means a lot to me. Um, Can you explain, for people who are hearing that word oblate for the first time, uh, you didn't become a Benedictine, 
Like you didn't enjoy, so what's yeah. the, can you explain what that means? Right, well, and you'll find, you'll find, if you look in the rule of St. Benedict, yes. he talks about oblates, mm -hmm. um, who very often in, in his time uh, would actually be um, young people, children, um, who perhaps their parents couldn't look after them any longer, right. and so the parents would bring them to the monastery. Mm -hmm. um, uh, now, it doesn't mean that any longer, yes. um, but rather it's, uh, the word ob oblate comes from oblation. Mm -hmm. So you offer yourself to the monastery, and in a way the monastery offers themselves mm -hmm. to you too, mm -hmm. um, to be your, your spiritual family. Um, it's not like a third order. You know, uh, the was, that was going to be my third question, orders. yes. So just like with um, Benedictine life, you're attached to the monastery for mm -hmm. life, it's exactly the same for an oblate. Right. So I'm, I'm an oblate of a particular monastery. I see. Yeah. And so is that, so you, 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 you would say that your spirituality is a Benedictine spirituality that, in, that informs what you do, but you're not a Benedictine monk. That's right. So certainly the, the rule of St. Benedict, I hope, <laughs> informs my life. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, that union with the community in prayer, and I go, always go there on retreat every year. In fact, I'm, I've given the community their, their community retreat. They asked me mm -hmm. to do that once. Um, it's, it's a huge support, and I think works both ways. It's not just what the monastery does for me. I hope, I do hope, that yes. I offer something back to the community. Right. Um, and now you did say, I don't want to imply that it's like a third order, but is this a fairly common thing that a diocesan priest would have an association with a religious community? Yeah, it's, it, is it, it is it? quite common. Is um, it? There are certainly a number of priests who are oblates of, of Pluscadon. Uh, the monastery altogether, I think, has about 250 oblates. Yes. Um, and a number of them will be, will be priests. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way that you'll find secular priests, diocesan priests, who are, are, are Franciscan third order or Dominican tertiaries. Or, right, right. It's quite common, quite yes. common. Now, you're also a canon lawyer, so I think that I'm going to ask this question to you as a canon lawyer, Ooh. consecrated life, mm. because as a diocesan priest, technically, canonically, you're not consecrated. That's right. But you're going to have to explain that to us. Right. Well, it, consecration, it, it, the way to think about it, the way to think about it is that uh, somebody enters consecrated life, they become a member of a religious order. Okay. So Jesuits, Dominicans, mm -hmm. Benedictines, the Basilians that you have here in Canada, yes. the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, whoever it might be. So yes. you join a religious order. Um, and that, make, that renders you part of consecrated life. Now, right. people enter consecrated life, some of them are priests, some of them are not. Right. So sisters, brothers mm -hmm. are consecrated. Mm -hmm. Some of the cons people in consecrated life will be priests. Yes. Um, those who join a diocese become just diocesan priests, um, if you like, um, working under their bishop oh, yes. rather than a religious superior, mm -hmm. uh, canonically are not consecrated mm -hmm. persons. Now canonically. That, canonically. Now yes. that doesn't take away from, if you like, uh, the consecration that belongs to all of us through our baptism. Mm -hmm. Yes, which I, which I think for some people is, is confusing in terms of the meaning. So, so the clarification is that canonically. And so when the Holy Father says that the, this is a year for consecrated life, he's very specifically talking about religious yeah. those who, who belong to religious yeah. communities. Those who take religious vows. Now, as an oblate, mm. are you... Do you fall under that category or not? No, or, <laughs> no. Canonically. Not canonically. No. No, no. No. So that means, for instance, looking at this is looking at it very, very practically. Yes. Um, if I fall sick, 
-hmm. I can't go to the abbot of my monastery and say, now I'm sick, you've got to pay my hospital bills. Right. Yeah, because yeah, you're not a member of that congregation. No, no, no. Right. Okay. Um, that's a very nuts and bolts way to put yes, it, but I yeah. think it explains explains how yeah, things so, work, if you like. Yeah, I yeah. think I get it. So you're also the the bishop of the forces, the armed forces in the United Kingdom. So how did we get from being a diocesan priest to, I guess, being a bishop or to being in the armed forces? Were you an army chaplain? How, how, does, that, how does that work? Um, well, I was a, a, a chaplain in uh, the reserve mm -hmm. uh, um, many, many years ago now. Uh, with a, a reserve hospital for the army, just for five years or so. Um, so this post came about. Um, after, uh, the po I, I, sorry, the post the po of being post as being, being no, oh. as being bishop. Okay. Post of being bishop came to me. I was I was at that stage the vicar general in my uh, diocese in uh, the diocese in Southwark, mm -hmm. um, and I was received a phone call from the nuncio. Yes, the phone call. Who said, "Would you come and see me?" <laughs> Uh -oh. And the nuncio said, um, very simply, you have been appointed the Bishop of the Armed Forces. Will you accept? Okay. So that was that. Yes. So I said, well, if, I remember saying to him, I said, well, if this is what the Holy Father wants, it's God's will and I'll, I'll do my best. Yes. And here I am. Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you about that because, I mean, we talk about vocation. Mm. And, and obviously at 13, you said you, you had... That, that was put in your heart, and then you entered a journey. So there's a bit of a, a saying yes there. There's a bit of a saying yes as a seminarian, as you discern. There's, there's saying yes when you met the Benedictines. And then there's the phone call from the nuncio. Mm. How, how different are those? Is that, do you see that part as part of the same journey? Or is it different, three different callings? Um. Well, certainly in terms of the vocational journey, mm -hmm. the, the call is to diaconate, priesthood, mm -hmm. episcopacy. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same sacrament of orders, yes. but at, if you like, at a different depth. Mm -hmm. um, my sense of call to be part of a Benedictine community, I think, was a gift from God as something which sustains me and to which I contribute. Mm -hmm. um, and if you like, it's a bit of a space out of which I try to live my life. So. Uh, it's a real gift to me um, right. and, and runs alongside and underpins everything else I do, I think. Yeah, no, and it's very different than being a bishop Yeah, with the responsibilities absolutely. that yes. come with, yeah, yeah. with, uh, with mm. that. Mm. Um, chaplain, being an army chaplain, mm. uh, tell me about that. But the, the life of our chaplains um, is quite extraordinary, I think. They, they bring the gospel into places where people very often shouldn't ever have to be. Mm. Um, you know, thinking of the experience of some of our chaplains in Afghanistan, for instance, some of the things they've had to see are things that nobody should ever see. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, chaplains, for instance, working in the hospital in Camp Bastion, uh, where casualties are coming in with limbs um, gone and all the rest of it. Um, and worse still, when children and, and mothers are brought into the hospital, um, with, with savage injuries. That's something that nobody should ever see or experience. Mm -hmm. But there they are, and they're working alongside our armed forces community, um, bringing Christ into that space. One of my chaplains put it that um, the role of the chaplain is to bring hope where there isn't any. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a, a very privileged vocation, mm -hmm. a very hard vocation. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, 
you know, that people sometimes say to me, why, why does the church go to these places? Is it right that the church should be involved in that kind of place? And my response always is, well, wherever people are, so Christ must be, and so the church must go there. Mm -hmm. That might sound simplistic, but I think it is as simple as that. Yeah. That was a conversation I had with the Most Reverend Richard Moth, Bishop of the Armed Forces of the United Kingdom. Bishop Moth is a canon lawyer and former vocations director. He is also a Benedictine oblate and chair of governors at St. Mary's University in London. You can watch my full conversation with Bishop Moth by going to saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives and also by watching it on Roku. And here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Wall, with Behold from their album, Always and Everywhere. Here now where we stand Here now where we are Light ignites among us Here now heaven Wild hearts are tempered, souls that groan are held, restless bones are craving, heaven's bread now. Beauty in a simple offering, beauty made perfect by Jesus Christ.
That was Wall with Behold from their album Always and Everywhere. Now, if you've been listening to this program for at least a year, or if you listen to Salt and Light Radio, you will have heard the name The Jacob and Matthew Band. In fact, The Jacob and Matthew Band has been around for like 12 years. But now they've decided to rename themselves, to rebrand as WAL, W-A-L. And to find out why the change and where this new direction is taking them, I am now joined by Matthew and Michael Paul Leon. Guys, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> Tripping over the phone there. Um, uh, so so why, why the change? Um, you know, that, that's a great question. This is Matthew speaking, by Matthew, the way. Matthew, okay. Um, you know, for when, when, when we first started the ministry, um, it, it started off with two people. Yeah. And as we started to progress and, and, and mature and move forward, that was something that was always brought up amongst ourselves is, you know, it's not about, it's not about the two individuals. It, it's about the ministry and what we stand for. Right. So, Jacob, and so, sorry. for the longest time, we struggled with the name and... Um, yeah. The one thing that I can say and Michael Paul can say is, is we've taken away from this ministry is people always question love, and they question whether they are loved or not. Mm-hmm. And, and as Catholics, as Christians, we believe that God is love. And if we truly believe that, then we know that we are loved. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the message that, that we've been ministering to people uh, from the time we started. And, and just allowing them to know that God's love is, is unconditional. God's love has no bounds. And, and that is something that we always want to share with people. So with that being said, you see the, 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 the name wall, but yeah. what it really stands for is we are loved. We are loved. Yeah, and I think that uh, this is Michael Paul speaking here. Hi, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, over the last 12 years, it's right, you're right, we've been together for 12 years. Um, it, you know, where we go, what we do, and how we do what we do as far as ministry goes, um, you know, at the end of, 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 a, of a night or a, a weekend retreat or, you know, a concert, whatever you want to call it, the question uh, is like, okay, so which one's Jacob, which one's Matthew, and... right. You know, over time it was sort of, a, I'm not I'm to say that it was tiring, it was just more so like, no, that's not the point, it's not about us. Right. Um, and we wanted to, to find a way to steer away from that and have the conversation not be so personality-driven, but mission-driven. Uh-huh. And, and to ask a question about the mission rather than about the people, because, you know, um, we would rather have it be about, you know, God's glory than ours. And so it seemed to make sense you know, at this point, this, you know, juncture in our lives to have that be the change, you know, and I think what Matthew was saying, as far as the reason behind why we changed it, it was, it was pretty, pretty spot on, you know, people knew that, they right. accepted that, that I, the, the fact or the, the, the concept that they're loved unconditionally, you know, just mm-hmm. as a person. Yeah. So but, and that, that would change, that would change somebody. I, I know that would change me. Yeah. And it has changed me, and it has changed Matt, and it's actually what has uh, prompted us to do what we do. Yeah, so would you say then that it's not so much that it's the group is changing, but rather you've changed the name to reflect what the group always was? Yeah, I think that we're stepping, I think one phrase that we used together as we talked and prayed about this was, 
we're just stepping deeper into the truth of who we are. Uh-huh. And it's, it's not necessarily stepping back or away. It's more so stepping and leaning into, you know, what, what we've been doing and, and calling that out and recognizing that and then actually putting a name to it. And, and, and you really feel that if you were to call what you do, I, I guess, the mission of Wall, uh, of you guys, which you've been doing for 12 years, is to, to help instill that message that, that we are loved, that, that God loves us more than we can even begin to imagine and that that is what is the kind of the life the transformation, the life-transforming uh, message? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. Good, okay. The, 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 the age group that we uh, typically minister to, uh, Deacon, is, yeah. is high school teens. Right, yeah. And I think that, you know, from the time that I was a teen until now, and the, you know, the teens that we, that we minister to, uh, full-time and ministry at our own parishes, but then around the country and here in L.A. Uh, with Wall, th- that's a volatile, crazy time. Those four years, the, the teens call into question so many things. Yes. And if they could hold on to and cling to this, 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 this truth that we believe through all of that, you know, mm-hmm. but hope that that would lead to conversion and a transformation of heart, you know, through whatever they encounter in the four years of high school. But then, you know, going past that, you know, the concept itself, even into college and then beyond, you know, into single life and then into marriage and then into being a family, that idea, that concept, that truth that we hold, you know, it carries. Yeah. It does. And, you know, and, and from time to time, I, I, I believe, because I've personally gone through this, is we forget even as adults that, that we are loved, that... yeah. That that God truly loves us no matter what, uh, and yeah. He shows He shows that in in everyday ordinary things that that He blesses us with. So yeah, yeah, no. For a lot of people, that's that's a hard. Med- I mean, we don't we don't love ourselves. So this idea that to have someone love us in a way that we can't even imagine is 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 hard to understand. So is that the new album? the title Always and Everywhere, does it kind of reflect that fact that it's we're always and everywhere loved? Or is it something else? Uh, Michael Paul here. Yeah, no, that's a good question, really. Um, we have, as, you know, uh, people of faith, uh, as being Catholic, have always, um, you know, in one way, shape, or form, have come to know God's infinite love through the Mass. We uh-huh. were, were taught this, but then I think in recent years, you know, as you journey through faith, have have come to realize the depth and the truth of what the Mass is and how the Mass itself is an act of love. Yeah, okay. And so this love is, the love that we experience at Mass is eternal, it's ongoing, it's forever, mm-hmm. always, it's everywhere, and, and it never stops. And so we, you know, during the Eucharistic prayers, you know, um, Father will say, we do well always and everywhere to give uh-huh. you thanks. yeah. And so, you know, that sort of just sort of stuck to our hearts for quite some time, and and it, it, that was that sort of was the springboard um, for you know writing for the actual mass because it's where it's in the mass that we have come to know, you know, a true infinite deep love. Yeah, I get it. So it's, it's so it's about so it's about it's about the mass, not so much about not so much songs that we can use at mass. No, it's the songs you can use at mass. It's actually, so if we're going to boil it down to what oh, it really? is brass text, it's more so a liturgical album than anything. Really. Yeah, yeah, so, that's it. Really is, and and you know that was the intention that we went in writing this this EP, and um, 
we took a lot of stuff scriptural from scripture and um we are we're just really happy to share it with everybody um so, I, I mean if you go down the list of, yeah, of yeah, the yeah. EP, you could actually listen to each song and say okay that's opening that is yeah. song of preparation that is a communion song that is meditation that is closing yeah and yeah. it was very intentional um, yeah that's true so let your let you let your light shine is a great recessional uh, behold or that we just heard or even in the name of the father could be a great offertory or communion song correct right or yeah. an opening song in the name of the father could be a, 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 an opening song sure oh yeah. god of abraham uh, song yeah. of preparation yeah absolutely um, adore meditation um, yeah, you're. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it in that context, you're you're absolutely right. So, is there is there an opportunity for people to download the music if they wanted to have the score so they can do it at mass? That's part of the uh, deal. Yeah, uh, voicesasone.com will. Uh, WLP is working on. We're Library Publications is working on getting those uh, those charts out as soon as possible because people have been asking um, over the last month or so, like where they can get some of these songs, and they're working on it to make sure that everything's right. Um, with optional key, with key options right. for you know your congregation to meet their needs and for it to be a, a, an accessible thing. So you know if you go to voicesasone.com, voicesasone.com, yep. you should be able to find it within the next couple of weeks or month. I would say. Okay, uh, that's good. That's good, and we'll uh, that's that's excellent, excellent because I think that's that's what we you know real tangible, uh, useful. Not I hate to call them resources, but that's what they are. I mean, we need to. Yeah, and then um, on our on our website in the next month or so when that goes up, you, you can go to wallmusic.com and you'll see a Voices as One uh, link there yeah. in the next month. Um, so you can uh, go straight to the Voices as One page to where the music would um, is available for download. Excellent. Yeah, we actually have a Voices as One link on the Salt and Light Radio page as well. So so that's uh Really, yeah, yeah, no, really easy. It, it, nobody can complain about not finding it. Um, you guys are doing uh, some touring. I know that you're going to be in Indianapolis on May 2nd, but the one I really want to ask you about is this this City of Saints Youth Teen Conference that the Archdiocese of L.A. is doing for the first time on, on August 7th, 8th, 9th? Yeah, correct. Tell me and, about that. You know, we're just super excited that the, the diocese committed themselves to, to doing something for, for our youth. Uh, Los Angeles is is the second largest, or maybe it's the first largest diocese in the United States. Yeah, that has it's just the largest, and there are over two hundred thousand teens uh, in the diocese that that need uh, to know that they are loved, to 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 know that that the church is is big for them, and and it's for them. Yeah. It's not something that they step into in their adult life. It's something that they step into now, as as teenagers, as as youth. That this is this is their church now, not yeah. not for the future. Excellent. So if people are in the in the L.A. area, or you know, maybe not that close, but you're outside and you can get to L.A. for that weekend, August seventh, eighth, ninth. Um, probably find information at the Archdiocesan website for yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, you can also go to cityofsaints.org. Perfect. Registration is open now, and it's going to be a great weekend. We have uh, speakers coming in from around the country, also some local speakers. Um, Wall will be leading worship that weekend. It's going to be on the uh, UCLA's campus for three okay. days, which yep. is pretty cool. Beautiful campus um, at uh, Royce Hall, which is a beautiful theater that seats about 1,700 people. Nice. So registration is open. Spots are filling up fast. So if you want to check that out, that's where to go, cityofsaints.org. That's excellent. You're giving us so many websites. So so this is good. So cityofsaints.org. 
Uh, we also have VoicesAsOne.com, but the most important website here is WallMusic.com. Thank you, guys. Um, I saw you last in Rio, but I'm hoping I'll see you in Krakow. Is that is that good? Oh, we would. We we we. That's our prayer. That's our prayer that we could be able to be united with our brothers and sisters around the world in Krakow. You know. It, it it depends on there's so many like factors that go into like funding and, yeah I know I know and, you know you know that whole deal so we'll we'll see how it goes but if we're meant to be there we will be there and we can uh, give each other holy hugs It'll be absolutely great. if you're there I'll see you there okay thank you very much good thank stuff you, thank you Deacon. you can find out more about Wall you can book them for a concert or you can buy their their all their music or the new album always and everywhere at their website as I said wallmusic.com that's W A L can't forget it we are loved wallmusic.com here now is wall with uh, the title track of their new album always and everywhere love everlasting is calling me back to the altar of heaven's feast where all the lonely and proud of heart come This is your grace and your love for me Your justice and mercy is what I receive Your power made perfect when I We're listening to Wall with Always and Everywhere from their album of the same name. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Next week, we're giving away a copy of Walls, Always and Everywhere, courtesy of World Library Publications. So go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and sign up for a chance to win. Or you can also send me an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or contact me through Facebook or Twitter, and I will personally enter you into the draw. If you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at that same webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can also now listen to the Salt and Light Hour on Roku. A special thanks to the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University for co-sponsoring this program. You can find out about Loyola University's graduate programs that combine Loyola's Jesuit values with the skills to use all digital platforms for evangelization at their website, luc.edu slash ips. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Here is redemption.